2: Welcome back to Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. I'm Brad Wright. Lahey Burlington International Airport is a hub of economic activity for our state. I, Like many of you, I've flown in and out of uh, the BTV more times than I'm ever going to be able to count. Uh, And during that time, it did seem like change at the airport was the one constant. Um, it is, there's just so much going on at probably uh, most airports around the country. Uh, the BTV airport manager is Nick Longo. He joined us by phone. Nick, welcome to Vermont Viewpoint.
3: Good morning, Brad. Great to be with you.
2: Thank you for joining us. Uh, so the big headline for the airport appears to be this plan to demolish the North Terminal and build a new larger one. Now, when does all this happen?
3: Yeah, that's 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 exactly right. We, uh, as you mentioned before, are always looking for how to improve, how to create the best passenger experience, um, and how to create a culture and atmosphere here at the airport uh, that really uh, shouts Vermont. And part of our replacement plan is to really renovate our second floor area, and uh look at a new building and, and thank you to our congressional delegation and and most specifically Patrick Galeghi for writing this into the appropriation bill we're now in the next steps of building this new building starting next year
2: wow so um is this is this going to be a like a springtime uh construction start is that when the when the shovels uh hit
3: yeah as as with any project there's always uh the paperwork the the back end the the people. Uh, that are truly, truly getting this work done. And right now we're looking at finishing our permitting process over the wintertime, making sure everything's finalized with the Federal Aviation Administration because $34 million will be coming directly from the FAA, uh, and and then getting this shovels in the ground. My hope is spring uh, into summer of next year.
2: Okay, so uh, 15 months or so seems like a pretty good estimate
3: for for construction i think yeah. so this is you know unlike uh, many other vertical projects or or construction projects in general this one the phasing is very complex we want to make sure uh, as as any project we don't interrupt our normal operations and making sure we're not in the way so this this new building will go up and it's it's generally out of the way We'll, we'll uh, uh, build it, uh, open it, and then we'll start removing other sections that are just not as efficient as they were originally designed for. And they're they're approaching thirty years old at this point. Um, and then we'll start renovating some of our second floor. So, new building, yeah, between twelve and fifteen months just to put that new building up and operational. And then we'll start into the next phase, so we're we're looking at a good twenty plus month project.
2: What would your expectation be for the passenger experience navigating around whatever construction that they encounter?
3: sure well the the ultimate goal is simplicity and efficiency. We want everybody, whether you're a business traveler, whether you're uh you know a, a kid traveling with your family. Uh, we want the experience to ultimately, when we're all done and, and over with, to be as as clean and simple so you can be standing in any one place of the airport and look to where you're going. Uh, ultimately, our 10-year our goal is to have everybody on the second floor. During construction, a lot of temporary walls, so you might not even know that this is happening behind those walls. You'll see uh, some signage going up. You'll see some... Uh, You know, temporary walls, like I said, and the ultimate experience during construction is to take those temporary walls down, and voila, there it is.
2: Uh, I understand there are also plans for a new hotel.
3: There there sure are. We have a great partnership with DEW Corporation, uh, and they're working with a hotel management firm. Uh, They're going through their final permitting over the winter again. And our hope is shovels in the ground by summer of next year. This uh, right now is a Marriott branded hotel, a SpringHill Suites. Um, we have a, a great new contract with with DEW Corporation, or or the the group is called BTV Hotel LLC. And and uh, again, that's probably a 12 month project. Uh, uh, six floors, just over 120 rooms, and again a, a Marriott branded hotel right here at the airport. Very convenient. Uh, to stop by, spend a night, maybe more, and uh, take that early morning flight in, in the next day.
2: Now, is there? Uh, wh- where is it going to go? What, what so part of the co- if airport if complex?
3: Yeah, if you're familiar with driving into the airport, you're, you're going to come right into our front entrance, our, our driveway, so to speak, uh, going past our terminal. And it's at the very northern end of our parking garage. So it's it's on the terminal side of Airport Drive, uh, directly adjacent to the parking garage. And, in fact, it's almost attached to the garage. So it, it, parking for the hotel will be in the garage, and it's just a, a couple of feet uh, to this new hotel. And that's on the north side of our parking garage. Okay.
2: Um, any uh, pushback from uh, the other hotels in the area?
3: You know, there's there's a great, maybe even more, uh, but a, a very great demand for hotel rooms in the area, and there has been for a while. Um, and overall, uh, the the traveler coming to the area, whether it's a Canadian traveler coming from Montreal or somebody flying into the airport or even somebody coming up here from New York City on the train – there's a demand and there's a need for hotel rooms in the area, and I, I think it's been in the news many, many times that there's multiple hotels coming up, um, and this one is really a, a unique market for us. Um, this one may not be the, the average traveler coming to this airport hotel. It's it's most likely going to be uh, somebody that is catching that 5.15 a.m. flight or Traveling from three plus hours away, which many of our passengers do uh, travel that far, uh, so it 's going to be a little bit differently but i i overall, I think it's a a, a great addition to the overall needs of this area mm. um, it
2: is uh, reported that um, the parking garage. The, that is currently there. Um, the construction um, has been going on for a while. What's happening there? Um, what is, is it, is it just a lighting project? What What's happening with the, uh, with the parking garage itself?
3: Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, been going on for a while. It's going to continue uh, to go on. In fact, our greatest need for continuous capital repairs is that parking garage. I, it, of course, sees the weather elements. It, it sees salt from the road and, and just constant activity. Um, we are replacing all of our lights in that garage uh, to brighten it up, to go more into a higher energy efficiency lighting system. But we're also replacing conduit and our fire alarm system. So it, it takes some time. And the reason it's taking so much time, very similar to what we talked about with the terminal, is the phasing. We want to make sure that as much of our parking garage remains open as possible throughout each element of this upgrade. Uh, We we have just just about 2,400 parking spaces in that garage, and we're very strategic on which spaces to close and when. Uh, We have, of course, peak periods of time throughout the year. We have peak hours even throughout the day. And as we go through with with our contractor to close down sections, upgrade what needs to be upgraded, again all to make the experience better for for the traveling public, uh, it's going to take some time. We are shut down that project over the winter. One, it's it's tough to do the construction, of course, during during the colder months. Even in that garage. Um, and so we're shut down for the winter. We know there's lots of holidays from from the, the just the recent Thanksgiving holiday through uh, Christmas and New Year's and many of the other holidays uh, throughout the next couple of months, all the way to the school vacations and the spring breaks. So we're not going to be back into the construction until most likely April. Uh, and that's a good thing. And, and it's a good thing because we're full in the garage. We have we have a, a great many spaces. Uh, that are filled in the garage. We have a lot of folks traveling for the holidays, and um, we're not entirely full. We have, we have space, so make sure you come uh, early and, and find that parking spot. Uh, but we're, we're looking really, really positive in the garage uh, throughout the, this season.
2: Uh, Nick Longo, the manager of Leahy Burlington International Airport, is our guest. Just getting back for a second to the uh, garage construction at the airport. Um, sure. with the with a halting of the construction, that means more spaces are available?
3: That's right. Um, there's there's a a couple of strategies that we deploy throughout the season. One is, of course, Halting temporarily our construction projects for, for those various reasons, cost and efficiency, um, and that does open up more spaces. We also do close down certain areas that um, uh, just just take a lot more snow, and, and it can be very challenging to clear off. Uh, so typically those are closed. Uh, we've opened up about half of that right now. So we have several hundred spaces left in the garage um but uh, but we are trending high, and if you look regionally, uh Manchester airport, Portland uh, over in Maine, they're also experiencing that with a the traveler is tending to spend more time wherever they're going, whether it's a business uh, trip or a leisure trip. I hope it's a leisure trip for for most of you, the listeners. Um, people are spending more time out there, and those those times in the parking garages are are overlapping so the industry has shifted uh, certainly since uh, pandemic has uh, the pandemic has has ended so uh, we're watching that closely we're we're carefully monitoring it and making sure that there are available spaces well, we also added new signage so that it, it's a little bit easier to get around our garage it's a one way garage now so when you see that first open spot you're going around the garage all the way up to our fifth floor um, and uh, and there's plenty of space for, for
1: all of our travelers.
2: Niles from Duxbury has a question for you. Nick,
1: what's your question,
2: Mr. Uh, yeah, Niles? Yeah, thanks
1: for taking my call. Uh, I, I, I um, sometimes well, – I mean, I, I, I use the airport, I, um, so I'm g- guilty as charged. I use our airport. Thank you. Um, I think – I'm just going to make a comment and then stop – um, I think transportation planners in the United States, uh, including the people in our congressional delegation who support the airport, and many state uh, politicians and bureaucrats that support the airport, have never left the United States. They've never gone to a country—I'm just going to use Western Europe as an example because i spent some time there—where they have actual functional rail transit um, and I, uh, I'm going to tell one quick story. I had a business meeting on Nantucket a bunch of years ago. The client was paying my way. It was an air flight from Burlington to Logan, and then a flea hopper from, uh, from uh, Logan out to uh, the island. Planes were not working. Planes were not uh, available. My flight got tangled to the point where I had to c- cancel uh, that day, and it was we had to reschedule the meeting. Regional, In my view, regional air transit is a waste of time and money, and that $34 million or $34 billion or whatever it is that you're getting from the, from the government should be split evenly with rail so we can have rail again. Um, I just, you know, I think that we're, we're uh, particularly given the situation we're into getting into with fossil fuels, this is incredibly short-sighted. And if Nick Longo wants to, to comment about this, I'd love to hear your aspect on how you justify um, regional transit um, via airplanes. Thank you. I appreciate you taking my call,
2: Nick. What do you think?
1: Yeah, that's great,
3: and and thank you, uh, Niles, for for the question. And and I agree. There's a lot of insight and a lot of collaboration that we can we can do with. Uh, partner countries and, and uh, specifically European countries, not just on the air service model or the airline model, but also the the airport uh, model. Uh, in fact, I, I uh, had the privilege to go to London just, just recently, and I sat on a panel discussing some of these very issues with colleague airports and, and much larger airports. In fact, the The Budapest Airport, Hong Kong Airport, the Airport Authority of Nigeria, all of us were debating some of these issues of uh, not just regional transportation, but also the increase in air travelers. Uh, We just hit uh, major, major records, not just here at the Patrick Leahy Burlington International, but around this country just this past Thanksgiving holiday. And in October of this year, we also hit some record numbers. And I, I tend to agree. We, we need to focus and we do focus our air service development on longer flights and larger, more efficient aircraft. And that's why you'll see on our on our flight list and our routes that we offer, we, we tend to go – in fact, all of our flights go to the largest hub airports in the United States and, and even in the world, like Atlanta and Chicago and the New York area – uh, Denver and, and of course Florida markets. Um, this 34 million dollars going to our terminal is instrumental to making sure that, that we, we keep up to date uh, because our terminal isn't quite there. Our terminal does have inefficiencies, and those inefficiencies really stem from the larger aircraft going to these to these longer, um, and larger destinations. Hmm. Uh, so all of this is in related to making sure the efficiencies, the experience, the size of the terminal, and the demands both on a peak hour from an aircraft size and the number of people on that plane uh, are really seeing the benefits all the way to sustainability, making sure we're working with the largest aircraft, bringing in sustainable aviation fuel, and less flights because the flights are... Are on larger planes um, uh, instead of regional 50 or less seat aircraft, and and more on 150 to 200 seat aircraft, uh, offering a much more efficiently flown routes. Yeah. So there's there's a lot to unpack in that question, but I think I think overall there's there's some really great content in there to make sure. Uh, the efficiencies, both financially and sustainability, uh, and environmentally, are all are all fit into our mission.
2: Yeah, the caller was was t- trying to um, suggest that you know pushing more money into rail. Um, would, would be a better use of, you know, taxpayer dollars. I, I think that's what he's saying. I was going to ask you if you, uh, you know, how you view, um, what the gov, the federal government is doing with high speed rail. There is, uh, it sounds like some seed money going into, um, an, a, a, a high speed rail, uh, between, um, Los Angeles and Las Vegas. I think there's another one in Florida. Um, do you – I'm gathered that high-speed rail is not going to make avia- commercial aviation obsolete, but um, yeah. it, it, is there a – could it change the dynamic?
3: You know, again, as, as I'm in – you know, I've, I've been to Europe uh, many times and I've uh, seen their, their models, especially in the rail system – um, geographically, there's there's some advantages in in Europe because of that, um, and I think there certainly is some major advantages for rail uh, in the United States, especially in in rural area, rural areas like us. It, it really depends on people utilizing that service, and and uh, of course the demand of that service. And there's certainly some advantages. Uh, most of our passengers are 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 not just going to these larger airports or even New York. They're going beyond that. Um, We have the data to support all of that happening. These these aren't mutually exclusive topics that we're talking about either. There's advantages to both of them. There's needs for both of them. Um, Certainly, uh, you know, we see the high demand for air travel, especially at smaller areas like us. That we have to continue advocating for air service in our region. We just recently experienced that, where airlines can make these decisions pretty quickly, uh, depending on their their profits and depending on uh, the the supply and demand of a, of a particular market. Rail is no different.
2: Yeah. Um.
3: And and it's and again, it's not mutually exclusive. There's there's benefits to both. Yeah. Um.
2: I wanted to ask you about, uh, the status of the airlines. There is, has recently been some back and forth, uh, about JetBlue leaving and then maybe coming back. Um, uh, it sounded like, uh, the, uh, feeder system for Delta had to cut back a flight, uh, f- uh, to and from, uh, LaGuardia, I think it was. Um, where are we on, on which airlines are working?
3: Sure. you know overall we have a great many options for airlines at Leahy BTV. We have, we have the largest airlines in the country, American Delta United flying multiple routes each. Um, uh, of course we, we have Sun Country Airlines now that offers direct to Minneapolis St. Paul in, in January and then again in February, Breeze will be introduced to Leahy BTV which they'll go to both Tampa and Orlando. And that's that's a great uh, diversity of airlines, and and that's really important for ticket prices and and some some healthy friendly competition. Uh, JetBlue really uh, made a decision based on the New York market specifically, and so did Delta. In this case, there are some hurdles uh, that we need help from our congressional delegation, and I'm I'm so thankful for all of the work that they're putting into. The help that's needed, both with staffing of air traffic control facilities, as well as a uh, what's called a slot waiver, which is essentially reducing the number of flights that are allowed to even fly into these Thanks, these large New York area markets. Uh, right now, United Airlines continues operating, and in fact, is increasing their service to Newark, just outside of, of uh, New York City, and Delta continues to fly to LaGuardia and JFK, and yes, they did reduce this temporarily. However, starting in January, they're going to start increasing that number to both of those airports, LaGuardia and JFK, All right, that, who does end service in January, however. And uh, while there's some some indication, and uh, uh, both myself and, and my director of innovation, Jeff Bartley, were able to visit the CEO of of JetBlue Airlines just a week prior to the congressional delegation, it, you know there's a lot of work that needs to happen prior to them coming back, and we're going to continue to push, press, and advocate uh, for that additional service. However, we, we're uh, we're not we don't see the the exact date of when they may return, but it's a it's a possibility, especially if the New York area. Congestion issues do alleviate.
2: Okay. We do have one uh, caller, uh, Catherine of Mortown. What's your question very quickly for Nick Longo?
1: It isn't a question. It's kind of a little nonsense
3: comment. I have a granddaughter that is a world traveler talking about being outside the United States. She's seen airport after airport. And when we take her to the airport in Burlington,
1: she says, oh, how I love this little airport and Heathrow evidently in London is a nightmare. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: That's what I've heard too. Uh, Nick, we each have a few seconds.
3: Well, thank you so much, Catherine. And then uh, we, we strive very hard and we're always open for suggestions. And our, our mission is to make sure that the start or, or as you enter Vermont uh, of your travelers is, It's a great experience, and we love our airport, and uh, we we will do everything to provide a great service uh, for the traveling public. And uh, we we welcome you to the Leahy BTV Airport anytime.
2: Thank you, Nick. Uh, We appreciate uh, your time today. Nick Longo has been our guest. He is the airport manager at Leahy Burlington International Airport. We'll be right back after this break. This is Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Welcome back to Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. It's not an emergency. It may not be December 22nd just yet, but we know one thing winter has arrived. For many Vermonters, the snow is an unpleasant fact of life, especially if they're not skiers or snowboarders or have other ways of having fun in the snow. One reason is they don't like to drive in it. Uh, have you bought snow tires recently, anyone? Wow. I haven't had to buy them for a number of years, and the price is now are kind of crazy, $750, 800 bucks in most cases for a set of four snow tires. <laughs> wow! Uh, but getting around in the winter is just a necessary fact of life uh, for most of us, and that's why we've invited our next guest, Ernie Patno, director of maintenance at VTrans, the, dev- the Vermont Department of Transportation. He has been there for twenty-seven years. So he has seen a whole lot of what winter can bring to Vermont roads. Ernie, welcome. Good morning, Brad. Thank you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. We are very happy to have you. Um, you know, I got to tell you, in some places around the state, we took a pretty good hit, uh, yesterday, Sunday night into, into, uh, Monday. Uh, I was out uh, shoveling my driveway last night in the dark. Um, uh, how did you your folks keep the traffic going in places where it was tough
0: so the uh, storm was well predicted it was predicted uh, way in advance of course we pay attention to the weather there was uh quite a few different models but regardless we wanted to be prepared for the worst um we had some emergency uh press call uh pre-facing calls if you will we all uh did a lot of planning ahead of time, and uh, we had a rock solid plan in place. And by the outlooks of the storm yesterday, things were looking pretty good. Looks like our plan all came together statewide, very, very nicely.
2: Does it usually go like that, or uh, are there bumps in the road often enough that you sometimes uh, approach a, any system with a little bit of wariness?
0: So we uh, we certainly can admit to there can be some bumps in the road. Um, if a, if a large unexpected uh, precipitation event happens and and uh, we weren't out on the road exactly when it happened, that that can be a little bit tough for us. Um, that did happen one time this year, um, and it would it would be uh, it'd be foolish for us to say that that can't happen because it can. I mean, you, you can get an unexpected uh, weather event in a very small geographical area, and and then we're um, you know we're rushing to respond, so. These bigger events, we do we do plan for them. And uh, like I said, the plan came together nicely yesterday.
2: Good. Um, when you have plows out on the major highways and state roads, um, can you refresh my memory about what the objective is when the plows are out there? Absolutely.
0: I'd love to. Um, so VTRANS operates under a snow and ice control plan. Um, and if you use your search engine and just put in uh, – if you put in the uh, Vermont snow and ice control plan, it'll be the very first thing that pops up. It's a very detailed plan. It has some great color maps. And we respond to each road a little differently. And, um, and, and it spells that out in the policy. Um, the policy and the plan is very structured on kind of like a environmental balance as well as a fiscally responsible balance. So, and there's a tough balance there between financially responsible and, um, and, um, environmentally friendly, if you will. It's, so it, it kind of spells out how we would respond to each road. And it's really neat because if you live on Route 100, you can actually look at Route 100 in your town and say, oh, it's a yellow road or it's a green road. Um, so it's, it's it, there's a wealth of information on that, uh, in that plan.
2: Now, I've heard, uh, I've heard it said that the objective, let, let's say, uh, when, when, uh, plows are on an interstate highway, um, that the road isn't necessarily supposed to be clear, but, but passable. Um, now that was a while ago that I heard that explanation. Is that still the case?
0: So that's, that's an excellent topic to discuss a little further. So VTRANS in the state of Vermont does not have a bare roads policy. Um, They've looked into it in the past and they figured to have a bare roads policy in the state of Vermont, it would run around an extra $60 million a year just for snow-fighting efforts. Um, And so the interstate is what we would call an orange road. That is the highest level of road. And... And that would be as soon as practical after the storm has completed that the roads be bare. Um, So if it snowed for two days, there is a strong possibility you may not see black pavement on the interstate for two days. Um, If it snows for two hours and the interstate was covered over, you would expect, you know, maybe in that fourth, fifth hour, the interstate would be cleared up, so it, it all surfaces around when the storm ends. On our expectation of what to meet in that policy.
2: Mm. Um, where are the places that you think are most notorious for bad winter conditions on the road?
0: Well, that 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 is that's a good question. That's a great question, and. I've spent most of my career in the northwest corner of Vermont. So my knowledge would be limited when we start to get out of the northwest corner. But I can think of some very notorious um, areas up here in this corner of the state. Um, Route 12, Worcester Woods, it is just an incredible snow belt down through there. Exit 10, Waterbury on the interstate, it has its own microclimate of weather there. And then we start to get into the mountains. Route 17 in Wheatsfield, again, a unique climate. Route 108, so Cambridge, very unique climate, sort of different on east side sometimes. Huh. Uh,
1: um,
0: it, it's it's, it's inc- I think I heard it one time called an orographical weather influence, um, that these little microclimates can affect just certain parts of each road. But those are some of the ones that I can that I can certainly remember, quickly. the heights of the land down in Williamstown, headed towards Randolph, where the interstate gets up high and flat. There's a nice little microclimate there, so it's it's a very. in Route nine in southern Vermont is another one that that comes to comes to light an east west main corridor up over the mountain range. Um, totally different climate than down in the valleys. So, so those are some.
2: Some examples I can think of quickly. Huh. Um, if you have a question uh, for uh, Ernie Patno, uh, the Director of Maintenance uh, at the at VTRANS, um, we would love to hear from you. The number to call is 802-244-1777. That's 802-244-1777. Um, I have heard from... Uh, time to time that one pretty serious pet peeve that your snowplow drivers have is drivers passing plows in places where it's not necessarily safe. Um, what's, what's your sense of that? I mean, you must have uh, been out there, uh, uh by your, you, you know, yourself driving and, and seen some of that. What, what are your thoughts about that?
0: Absolutely. So I'd love to chat about that. It is very easy collide with a plow truck and a lot of people would think there's no way they're huge they're orange they're covered in light we get struck more than one would imagine um there's snow there's snow dust behind us people inadvertently may just glance away for just a second and if you're doing 65 and we're doing 35 that distance closes very very quickly um And and the sad fact of when a plow truck gets struck is that puts us out of commission. Um, Hopefully no one gets hurt. And then we, you know, we have to wait for the police to come. And then that truck has now been, it's just sitting beside the road. And there has been many cases where we have been struck four times a day throughout the state. And it seems like a high number, but, you know, our, Consist of over 300 plow trucks but it it is easy to cloud plow uh collide with a plow truck sorry um this is where this is where vtrans and i'm really passionate about this as well we ask vermonters to partner with us partner with us leave a little bit early give us a little bit of room slow down i mean if everyone around you is doing 35 that's a safe road at a may not be able to do 50 but 35 don't be impatient don't pass i think we've we've all been there we've all been that person in line frustrated that we'd like to pull out and pass you know five or six cars um and, and it's just dangerous so we, we ask you to partner with us on those days that it's stormy leave a few minutes early be courteous to your fellow drivers and uh, give us a little room to do our jobs yeah we'll all get there safely.
2: Ernie, uh, your drivers, the guys who are out there driving these plows, um, what is a shift like for those guys? What is the intensity? What are the things they're trying to keep track of as they're going?
0: So, we are blessed to have an incredible workforce of men and women that take their job very, very seriously, and they're very proud to plow the roads. And so, some of the things that they're faced with is the shifts can be long sometimes, uh, 12 hours, sometimes plus. Um, if it's a freezing rain event, we can't just pack it up and go home. Um, the other thing that our drivers are faced with a lot is they get some negativity focused towards them, you know, at the store when they need a coffee or when they need something to eat because they've been called in in the middle of the night and, and they haven't had time to prepare a lunch, um, and and I always like to ask our folks be courteous to our drivers. And if you don't like what we're doing, give an office a call somewhere. Give give a manager a call somewhere. You know, they're doing the best they can with what they're given, and you know those folks those folks deserve a huge thank you. The, it's the dedication that people don't see. Um, these men and women devote their five months of winter to these trucks and Mm. two fellow Vermonters. um, They're very proud of their job and the sacrifices they make are incredible. So the plow fleet operators deserve a lot of positive credit. And, you know, if, if the policy or the planning or the plow wasn't headed in the right direction, it's not really the driver. Um, Reach out, Reach out on the phone to a manager or someone. Um, But if you can, you know, give those folks a, a thank you. Um, They are dedicated, dedicated. They give up everything. They give up their family birthdays. They give up Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Everybody's enjoying a long President's weekend, and it may snow. And those those folks are all dedicated to getting all of their customers to where they need to go. So.
2: Um, is the, the, you mentioned a 12 hour shift. That's, um, that's pretty hefty, especially if you've been called into the middle of the night. But, um, you're, you're driving this big truck. You've got to keep the plow at the right or plows, because sometimes they have two, two plows, right? Um, You're driving along, you've got this plow going, you might be, uh, sprinkling salt out of the back. How many things are they looking at at once?
0: A lot. Um, so they're constantly checking their mirrors. You are incredibly right. They're running that front plow. Um, and then they're running the side plow, which is, which is the wing hanging off the side, which is, which is another common thing of, why did that driver get over off the edge a little bit? And one thing that's surprising to a lot of people when they said in these plow trucks, you cannot see that side wing. So these operators, when you see them running one inch from the guardrail down the interstate, they're doing that by judgment out of their forward-looking, knowing that that wing may be holding over four or five feet, Um they're looking at their salt spreader. They're looking at the road conditions. They're checking their mirrors. They're making sure, uh, nobody has slid across the center line. They're looking. One of the scariest things for a plow truck driver is to see footprints walking on the side of the road. You now need to start looking for somebody walking. Um, there's a lot going on on the inside of that truck. A lot.
2: Uh, there is indeed um let's shift gears a little bit and talk about uh the use of salt um i know that in some cases um uh, a brine solution is used how do you make a decision about which to use and um and is there a preference for you
0: so absolutely the uh <clears throat> the technology of brine um we like to call it liquid salt because all it is is rock salt, and it's mixed with water, and it creates a liquid solution. And what that does is that makes that salt moist and and of uh, the consistency of more like a paste, and that presents uh, prevents bounce and scatter. So if the truck is going 25 miles an hour with dry salt, they tend to be roundish pebbles, if you will. Yeah, and they bounce very effectively. So, the scout bounce and scatter effect, we figure we save around 30% by pre-wetting that salt with water and salt mixed together. And and the only reason the water and salt are mixed together is so it doesn't freeze, doesn't freeze in our trucks. Um, And so, Brian really started to get a bad name, and that's why we call it liquid salt, because there's nothing special in um, liquid salt. And so, if you took dry stone and you put salt on it and then you drive in slush, that is brine. It is it is literally the same exact thing. And we often invite the media to come and watch us uh, make this product. <clears throat>
1: hmm.
0: So it's a very interesting fact. Uh, folks all around the country and all around the world have been driving in brine since the beginning of salt being applied to a highway.
2: Is it um, better environmentally?
0: So it, it's the same exact thing and why it is uh, better environmentally is we reduce our solid chloride by 25%, 30%. Um, it is an incredibly efficient tool for our environment, incredibly efficient tool.
2: So you're going to use this uh, whenever you think you can and as opposed to bouncing salt pebbles on the road. Uh-
0: Absolutely, because all, all the salt that we can keep on the highway, instead of bouncing off into the grass or the ditches or the streams, I mean, it, it, it just makes sense. Yeah. Both, both, not only fight, you know, fiscally, but more importantly, environmentally.
2: So, uh, f- folks can go to your website and, and, and Dial up some webcams to to get a preview of where they're going, and if there's a question about the weather.
0: Yes, incredible technology, and and those are real time, those are real time um, photos and videos,
2: and. Um, Here's something that I hadn't heard of before until I looked on your your the VTRANS website, uh, the plow finder. You can actually find out where a plow has been in, let's say, your area. Um, can you talk a little bit about how this works in the minute or so we have left?
0: Absolutely. That technology is credible as well. Those trucks have GPSs. We decided to have them face publicly so you can see where those plow trucks are out. And um, it, it's it's pretty interesting technology, and I'm glad that it is out there. Um, it's very handy for everyone involved to have those on those uh, on our equipment.
2: Have you had any uh, uh, public feedback?
0: Um, we we have had a lot of positive feedback, and then we get a lot of questions, especially with reduced coverage overnight. With you know your plow only went through one time, and then you know we go back to the policy and say, okay, well. It did, but here's why. Um, So it is real-time information. Um, It's it's very exciting. It's a little bit of a struggle to keep those things up and running. They're a little bit finicky, and they rely on cell phone service. So... But we're ironing all those bugs out, and we're trying to perfect that program
2: for sure. Wow. What a cool thing. Well, listen, uh, thank you very much, um, Ernie Patno, uh, 27 years in the, in VTRANS and Director of Maintenance for the Vermont Department of Transportation. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we appreciate it uh, because winter has arrived, and uh, the plows are out there. And so it is time, uh, to, uh, to be careful out there as well. Uh, I also want to thank my other guests, uh, Kevin Gaffney, Commissioner of Financial Regulation, uh, talking about crypto investing, uh, Professor Ross Lieblappen of Vermont State University discussing an upcoming trip to the Arctic, um, and, um, uh, Nick Longo of the Burlington International Airport about new terminal construction and what's happening with the airlines. Thank you very much. Uh, This is Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. I'm Brad Wright.